Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Joins today, back from his uh, battlefield trip to uh, to the fields of Flanders. Phil Oakley, how are you? Very good, thank you. Excellent. Good trip. Excellent. Different way of life out there. Indeed, indeed. Lots to talk about this week. We've got lots of results. Lots of really interesting corporate news, some of which you've covered in your Alpha Weekly. But there is something interesting you've talked about in your column this week, which is it's not necessarily about stock picking. It's about it's about index tracking and whether index tracking works in the context of the FTSE 100. And I think that's probably a good place to start because Mm -hmm. everything else we're going to talk about will flow from that. Your thesis is that that if you're going to track anything, the FTSE 100 is not that thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much like being given a box of chocolates at Christmas full of nuts and coffee creams and you I, don't know soft centres. I like the coffee creams. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and I think, I think, no, seriously, it's, I think, a very important issue given the incredible growth that we're seeing in passive investing mm. for lots of good reasons. But I think one of the things that i don't think is being talked about a lot is what are you actually tracking what is in this basket of shares or bonds or whatever you've got what is in it and i think i think investors need to take a little bit of time to actually understand what they're what they're buying indeed i mean with the rise of passives and etfs in particular you can track pretty much whatever you want yeah it's great that's great which is great yeah you know down from a big index like the FTSE 100 or the s&p 500 down to very granular strategy you know uh, what do they call it? Uh, smart beta strategies. Yeah, uh, it's, mu- uh, it's much more advanced over in America than it is here. Yeah, but I think that's quite exciting for for UK investors. I think I think it's going to get a lot better over here as well eventually. Let's hope so. Um, and then we can start writing about them some more because there yeah. there are some interesting things yeah. you can track. And and also you know in terms of strategies as well. In terms of asset allocation, asset allocation strategies, they're absolutely brilliant. So let's go back to the FTSE 100 and your your thesis around whether you should track it or not. I mean, I guess what you're saying is, if you're going to track anything, don't track the FTSE 100. Yeah, that's the that's the bottom line. Yeah. Why? Uh, because it's full of lots of very big, mediocre, lumbering companies that are going to struggle to grow, in my opinion. Yeah, and there's lots of talk, which you allude to in the piece, which I've actually sort of pulled out as the, the quote of the week on the Seven Days page, yeah. that the UK market is cheap. And in the context of the FTSE 100, your, your, your contention is that it's cheap for a reason. Yeah, the, the, these companies, a lot of them are facing a number of challenges on a number of different fronts. That might be regulatory, competition, technology, and they are big. You know, big things, it's difficult for things that are already big to get bigger. Having said that, I mean, there are some very good companies in the FTSE 100. You talk about them in in the piece. Yeah. Um, but they're expensive. Yeah, I mean, what the message I don't want to get across is that everything in the FTSE 100 is rubbish. Um, and, and you've given a little list there yeah. of, of what you consider the, the the quality within the FTSE 100. Yeah, but I think, I think there's a lot of risk in the FTSE 100. I think, you know, sort of linking it into the column that I did either last week or a couple of weeks ago, about, about dividends. Um, you know, we are seeing this now. We are seeing that the sort of allure of cheapness that the FTSE 100 might have in terms of uh, high dividend yield, um, it's coming back and biting investors. I mean, this, it's not a new theme. 
it's something we've been talking about in the magazine for quite some time. Yeah. That, that, that these very big companies that people have relied upon for uh, for their income, for, for, for their dividends, um, maybe not that reliable. And, and in fact, I mean, it seems to have, have, have reached this 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 uh, its conclusion in the last couple of weeks. Not necessarily a conclusion, in fact. As we're no, I think I think we've got further to go on this. But but so the the the, the signs of the unreliability of FTSE 100 dividends have become very clear in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we've had some very good examples the last couple of weeks. Vodafone. Yeah. Uh, what else have we SSE. had? SSE, which we'll talk about in more detail. Marks and Marks Spencer, Spencer. Uh, yeah. um, and and actually Vodafone is the uh, which cut its dividend two weeks ago. Yeah, maybe two weeks Big ago. Cut. It's actually we've we've got a new little feature in in the 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 fund section about shares that fund managers are selling, and Vodafone is one of them. The fund managers we speak to in that piece actually look at companies like Imperial Brands and British American Tobacco and BT, which aren't yet to, to slash their dividend. But as companies that, that may struggle because of the, the, the pressures on their industry, the, the falling dividend cover, the amount of debt they've got as, as, as other yeah, candidates. Spending, might, spending obligations, CapEx spending. They might go down the same routes. Yeah. In- I think BT, unfortunately, um, I had a good look at this one a couple of weeks ago when they put their results out. I, I just cannot see now how, how they won't have to cut their dividend. Because of the spending commitments. And the downward, just the downward pressure on you know things like data costs are just coming down. They they have got a good asset in EE, and they can sell bundled products. But it's the open reach for years was being run as a cash cow, mm. and you know BT was trying to squeeze as fast the broadband speeds out of its copper network that it could, and it and it's run out of road on that now, and it's going to have to start doing fibre to the home, and that's going to cost a, a lot of money. And the thing is, is that the returns that they can earn on that are capped by the regulator. I've just bought that, actually. It's not cheap, fibre to the home. Oh, right. Okay. As, as, a, as a customer. It's good. It's, I don't know. Makes no difference to me. Do your kids complain? No. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not, it's not cheap. No, it's but, not but cheap. But then I can't imagine how many people will be prepared to pay £60 a month for, for fast broadband. It seems a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but I mean, the question is, where th- does that become cheaper? If you look at the the history of what happens in terms of telecoms pricing, is that it doesn't tend to go up a lot. My BT bill has always gone up, but I I, I do wonder at what point it will it it will reverse. I think BT now have said that they, I think they realise they are are bordering on a value for money problem. I th- I would agree with that because because and they said look they're going to cap their prices. To, to rise no more than inflation. The thing about BT is that you know you can get a lot of disruptive competitors who can you know have the option of going into the local telephone exchange, piggybacking onto the open reach network for a fee, and selling selling people the same product that BT's selling, apart from the the real super fast fibre to the home, but the sort of standard sort of forty megabyte per second packages to seventy five eighty megabit. That's a that is a standard commoditized package now. Yeah. Anybody who's got the cash and the wherewithal to set up a, essentially what's a billing company is to con- connect, can go and sell that product. Indeed. So I think going back to the, the FTSE 100, I mean, looking down, uh, I, I actually printed out a list of the, the FTSE 100 constituents. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of companies on very cheap uh, PE ratios. Yeah. I mean, sort of 10, less than 10. In fact, less than 10 in most instances. Um and very high yields, you know, between six, seven, and, and in many cases, even more. I mean, that 7% yield is 
is a danger sign. Yeah, I think once you get an over six, unless you are, you know, looking at a company that has a stated policy that it's going to pay out all its profits, which some of them do, you know, some of the insurance companies have done that. That's essentially a sign saying, mind your eye, either it's not going to grow much or it's going to get cut. Yeah, indeed. And I think there are a lot of flashing red warning lights in the FTSE 100. So I guess the big question, and actually, we're going, going back to the, the idea of the quality of the FTSE 100, um, we've actually got a feature coming up in, in a few weeks' time uh, looking at US tech and looking actually beyond the fangs and, and seeing what's out there in, in, in technology in the US. And I asked Harriet, who's going to write it, to put a spreadsheet together. There are 97 software and technology companies listed on the NASDAQ with market caps bigger than the smallest market capitalization of the smallest FTSE 100 company. There is a FTSE 100 of tech companies in the US. Yeah. And, and, you know, you look at at the FTSE 100, how many companies on that index can you call tech? Not that many. Not many, many, no. Not that many. I mean, this index is long in the tooth, you would would argue. It is. It is. And the proof is is in the eating and and that it actually hasn't, you know, it hasn't been a a brilliant ride for investors. I mean, there, there is something damning, more damning, you know, uh, than, than just us sort of slagging it off uh, in the numbers themselves. Uh, and, and actually, the comparison with, with uh, gilts yeah, is it's extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, I looked at this and, you know, if you look at, you know, the Van- I just look at a Vanguard tracker fund. You know, Vanguard FTSE 100 tracker over the last five years has underperformed Vanguard UK government bond ETF. Only just... But yeah, it's 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 damning. It it, it is damning, and obviously the US trackers have performed extremely yeah. well. And I think you you've advocated using them before. Yeah, because I just think generally they are. If you if you are looking to track an index, then you know the S and P five hundred doesn't half off offer you a bang for your buck in terms of how cheap it is to do that, and and the quality of the companies within that within that index. There's some. Absolutely superb companies. Yeah, in there, I, I agree. Like, and as, I mean, it's five hundred of them rather than a hundred, of course. But um, you just have to sort of you know, look at look at what you can get exposure to, and they are genuine. A lot of genuinely big and still growing, wonderful companies in that in that index. I, d- I go back to the point about technology. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, well, that's what's been driving the S and P five hundred. Yeah, but it's but, it, but in some senses, it's just the big technology that's been driving most of the performance. Actually, there were a lot of great companies yeah. out there below the radar that no yeah. one ever talks about. Yeah, beyond beyond the. And that's before you get onto things we were discussing earlier about payments firms as well. Well, t- should we talk about payments very briefly? It's just a little bit of detail. I think we've uh, I think we've uh, you know yeah R I P to the FTSE one hundred there. Sadly, uh, I mean. <laughs> um, you know, not to depress our listeners and readers too much. There are, you know, we do put a selection of where we think there are there are some good companies in there, and um, we do uh, we do put a list in the article that it's not it's not all doom and gloom. What what I think the bottom line is is that you know perhaps the UK isn't a brilliant brilliant market to use trackers and and stock picking is the way to go. So we were talking about uh, talking ourselves out of a job in one respect, but talking talking ourselves back into a job in another. Exactly. Excellent. Um, let's talk about Save Charge, which is the, the the little UK payments company that's uh, 
that's kind of the latest yeah. consolidation in that sector, which has been ripe with consolidation recently. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised to, to see this company bid for at all. Um, it seems that the, the theme of consolidation is is continuing, and this has been, you know, an obvious an obvious target for for some time. Uh, incredibly profitable business, generating great returns, great cash flows. I think the main concern about it is that maybe some people thought it might be a bit too nichey. I think from memory, it has a lot of uh, business tied up with gambling and that kind of thing. It does indeed. And if you look at the, the main shareholder in, in Safe Charge, it's a guy called Teddy Saggy, who, if I'm right in thinking, is the, the man behind Playtech. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah it's, it, Israeli gambling uh, tech. Yeah, and, and obviously there's there's people will have sort of think, well, I might have to mind my mind my eye on something like this. Um, but, um, you know, the numbers, the numbers are incredibly profitable, you know, incredibly profitable. They have, and they've been delivering. And um, someone said, oh, I want to own it. I can see this theme continuing. You've got your fantasy uh, SIP portfolio. Yeah. It's doing extremely well. Not so, bad. Not, not bad. bad. You get a little smile on your face there. Yeah, it's doing all right. Got some payments companies in there, but again, big US payment. Companies yeah, I guess, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Mastercard. I think, if I remember right. Yeah, but the big, the big one that's done really well is, is um, an American company called uh, Paycheck, which is like sort of it does. It's, it's not really a payments company. It's like a sort of wage processing payroll payroll type company. So it's not processing payments as such. It's actually taking on. Um, small and medium-sized company, um, wage bill, HR functions, that kind of thing. You say small? It's not small, no. 31, oh, no, I said, I said small, it's, its customers are small <laughs> and medium-sized businesses. $31 billion company yeah, it's big. that you've probably never heard of unless you've looked at Phil's uh, fantasy sip. I mean, it's, inc- it's incredible. This is what I'm talking about, the depth of yeah. quality in the US But the thing is, the, these so. companies, these companies have got fantastic economics. Because the large amount that there's a large amount of fixed costs, you know, you invest in the IT, you invest in the product, and then the once you've got up, once you've got the products up and running, the cost of then selling additional products is, you know, can be zero. Yeah. So once you once you get to the situation where you've covered a lot of your fixed costs or all your fixed costs, once you start going past that, the incremental profit just drops straight through. And this is why these companies have great returns on capital, great profit margins, great free cash flow. I mean, it's quite interesting because, the, I mean, the UK's biggest uh, technology company, is it the UK's big, uh, Sage? Actually, no, that's not true anymore. It's Ocado now, but Sage is yeah. is arguably the UK's biggest pure play tech company. Yeah, and that has that, has, that, has that kind, those Similar kind properties. of economics. It's been, there's been a few bits of teething troubles with Sage. Um, and these businesses aren't immune from competition as well. That's one thing that, you know, they're not sort of, I mean, they, they have captive customer bases, but there is competition in them. But if you can get enough volume and keep enough volume of business, you've got a very nice nice company there. Yeah, share price has done very well over the last uh, six, six, seven months. Yeah. Um, but yes, you're right, they do have competition. I can't remember the name of the company that, that advertises very heavily on. Is it Intuit? Is yeah, it's... Is um, a big competitor? Yeah, yeah. Or QuickBooks? Yeah, they're the same, that's the same one. Same company. Yeah, so Intuit, which is listed on, on the American Stock Exchange, yeah, QuickBooks. 
And um, into it, sixty-four billion dollars. Yeah, they, they have. They have been. That has been a great share. Yeah, yeah. But same thing. It's but, just, it, it's just kind of interesting that Intuit has got so big and Sage but, has not been able to get into the same quantum. Yeah, and obviously I think Sage worry a bit about QuickBooks. Um but Sage is you know Sage is deeply entrenched within within a lot of a lot of companies. Maybe there's a bit of regionality going on here as well. I mean, yeah, I think you know in the UK but you know Intuit is I mean if you look at the adverts you see on TV Intuit's almost like trying to target the, the almost the sole trader. Yeah, and you know, I have to say they—they've done. It's not—it's not a company I've looked at in depth, but it looks like their product's quite simple to use. And I've—I've I've looked at Sage in the past, and I've—I thought this is quite hard to get a hang of. My my wife is a uh, an accountant, so uh, she's she's all over Sage. Yeah, not so much QuickBooks. I think there is a lot of regionality going on. Yeah. in in this uh, in this game, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, I guess that the, the point we're trying to make is that there are a lot of great. Tech companies on the U- yeah, Sage, US market. Sage would, Sage would be in my list of FTSE hundred good companies. Excellent. What are, what's the share? What is the mm, not cheap though? That's the problem with these companies. But yeah. Should we uh, should we go back to something that is not in uh, the the quality segment of the FTSE one hundred M and S because that's a very topical uh, company. They've had some figures out this week. Um, they've made some updates on their strategic plans this week, and this is not looking great. And you've updated this in your alpha uh, newsletter. I, I, re- I really struggle. <laughs> you know, if you if you ask me, do I think this business will be alive and kicking in twenty years' time? I'm not sure. What's going to happen? I, I think it's got a, a lot of problems, and the, I think the chief problem that this company has had, and this is not a new problem. It seems that successive chief executives try and come in and fix the same problem, and they and they don't do it. What is the problem? I think the problem the is problem? they haven't their, their their appeal is too narrow. So if they they don't have broad enough appeal uh, in both their core markets, which are food, food and, cl- and food and clothing. So so clothing, yes, I completely understand that. I think you put it as you put it in your piece. Yeah, they, they don't. Uh, their clothing range don't appeal to anyone under sixty. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, you just walk, you know, I, I, don't, I occasionally do walk into Marks. I'm under sixty. Just only just. I'll give over. <laughs> but it's like it. It they they. You know, if you look at the innovative disruptors in the fashion market, particularly in the young fashion market, and then you look at how well. Next has held its own. Uh, Marks and Spencers is just nowhere. Mm. Um, it has right. a, it, so isn't it still like in market share terms the biggest clothing retailer? I've on the not looked street. at the market share. I mean, it's still there. It's still there because it has, you know, a very sticky but not growing customer base. You know, has mm. people who go in there and will buy the, buy that stuff, but it can't grow. It's actually it's managing decline. So, and, and I guess that's reflected, um, you know, from an investor perspective in this this steady stream of store closures. I say steady. Well, it's, I mean, it's been a bit, a bit of a, a waterfall of store closures, closures recently. It is now, yeah. And I think that they have to do that because their their stores, you go into their stores, three quarters of them are over 25 years old. Um, some of them are even there pre-World War II. And they are the wrong shape for them to actually make them attractive to shoppers. And often they're in the the wrong places now. Mm. They're in high streets where footfall is going down 
and it makes it very, very difficult for them to actually set these shops up in the right way to to, to make money. Are they just giving up then on this side of their business? I mean, uh, no, no, they're not. Uh, no. How do they, so I'm, I'm struggling. So as they shut stores, they're putting out of these high streets. Fair enough, that, that might make sense. It costs a lot of money. It's costing a lot of money, but they, they're having to... I mean, the other thing they're having to do, and they've admitted it, they're having to cut their prices. And I think this is, this is an issue on the food side as well. Well, for, I mean, they're even closing some of the Simply Food yeah, stores. Yeah, but we were having this discussion at lunchtime about, about where we are in London at the moment and just the saturation of places to go and get food. It's just like it's just wall to wall food shops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Including Miles and Spencer's. But yeah, you've got, you've got Sainsbury's, Tesco. You've got all the, the private equity owned chains. You've got Pret a Manger, which has bought Eat this week. Yeah, it's about location is everything in this business. And you know, if we if we look at a theme that's been developing over the years in terms of what makes a good retailer, it's location. Mm. So we're looking at you know the success of. You know, we've talked about the last few weeks, talked about WH Smith and the airport selling or railway station selling, service stations, hospitals, where you can get that captive customer base. Marks and Spencers are, you know, trying to play that game a little bit, but they've got too much of it up against too much competition in the wrong in the wrong places. Yeah, so, so, so I mean, their big move... And I guess the thing that shareholders in Marks and Spencer will have to be considering very carefully this week is the rights issue. I mean, this has been well flagged, but... And it, but it's, it's th- a big rights issue. This is, the, this is the problem, is that Marks and Spencer's is a mess, and it's got to sort it out, and shareholders are paying a very high price for, for sorting out the mess. So, so the, dividend, got- the dividend's been cut by 25%. And then you've got a deeply, quite deep discounted rights issue. I think pretty much 30, 32%, I think it was, compared to the, uh, the closing price on Tuesday night. Yeah, I think 20, we, uh, 26.3% discounted the theoretical X rights. Yeah. So, so, I mean, so, chunk, so it's chunky either. It's chunky, and you know, £600 million being raised here with 325 million shares. To, to buy half of a cardo, which, let's be frank, you and I don't think is worth that much anyway. I'm really ter- I'm so, terrified. To me, to me, this this looks an absolute, <laughs> you know, an absolutely perplexing way to invest. To, you know, you're asking shareholders for free for fresh money. You're cutting their dividend payout and saying, "Oh, we're going to shove it in a cardo." So I think I think Ocado was absolutely jumping for joy when Marks and Spencer's came along. If you were a Marks and Spencer shareholder, would you take up the rights? No, I don't. I don't want to. I would. I, I would want to sink because because you're not. You know, if you look at even look at the bulls of Ocado, bulls of Ocado are on the technology side on on actually selling their technology to to traditional supermarkets to sell goods over the internet. This isn't that kind of deal. You're not getting. You're not investing in. You're just investing in the UK robots and warehousing and store picking technology of Ocado. Yeah, and I, and I have to say, going back to what we were talking about in terms of Intuit and, and something that you can sell almost infinitely at no extra cost, Ocado's tech is not like that either. No. And that worries me a great deal about that, but that's another story but Ocado, for another right, Ocado can't make money. In fact, no one can prove that they're making money, really. I mean, food is a problem. You know, actually making money out of selling food or delivering food is incredibly difficult. In fact, no one can really prove to do it well. I think the problem 
and this is what's scary about the rights issue and the investment in Ocado, is that Ocado has got an average basket size of about 100, 110 quid. Marks and Spencer's basket size is probably less than 20 quid. So how on earth are you going to convince people to buy Marks and Spencer's food in a big enough basket size to make the economics of all the costs and leverage all these fixed costs of delivery to make a profit, and I just don't think it can. It and feels, I think it could be an absolute disaster, this. It feels to me like it, it wants to become a different business to, to what it is. It's not sticking to its knitting. It's, I mean, is it just sticking its It's lost. Marks thing? and Spencer's is lost. It no longer, it's no longer an innovator. It doesn't lead in clothing, in food. It doesn't have this broad enough appeal because of its product range and its pricing point. Now, you can go on about Marks and Spencer's food and people say how lovely it is, but, you know, your wallet's going to get stung by going into Marks and Spencer's. And, you know, we've talked about this in the past, about how, you know, particularly even the discounters now are raising their game and the quality premium, I'm not convinced it's there. Indeed. Matthew Vincent in the Financial Times has written about this this morning. Yeah. Uh, and he, he describes this as, uh, as not an M&S rights issue, but a little rights issue. It, the, the discount being what it is. And actually, I think you're absolutely right. I think... You know, I think more and more people are going to the discounters because they actually offer a pretty decent I, and shopping it's get, experience. And it's getting better. Yeah, I, I, I think you're dead right. Let's stick to food. Let's yeah. move away from Marks and Spencer's. I think we've uh, we've put the boot yeah, in there we quite have, enough. Yeah, we've been a bit, bit unkind. I don't think we have been unkind. I've just, just, just got to say it how you I, see You've it. got to say it how you see it. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Cool. Let's talk about the other um, half of your column this week, which is about Just Eat. Yeah. Um, and this kind of ties into what I've written about in my editorial, you know, and, and about how hard making money out of food is. So Just Eat is a, it's an app, basically. It's, it's a marketplace for online food delivery. Yeah. And I'm going to sort of, before we come back to that, my editorial is about the collapse of Jamie Oliver's restaurant chain. Yeah. And, and what I observed about that is that there have, has been an enormous growth in the what they call casual dining sector in recent years and for investors for people like jamie oliver uh, it's been a, 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 it's been quite horrific actually what that what has created that has been a, a real flood of private equity money in many cases and i think going back to what we we're talking about the lunchtime sandwich the same is happening there and now looking at things like just eat uh which has massive competition which is the problem this week that's the wall of money effect as well cheap money and you know you've got two things you've got you've got people willing to lend cheaply and then you've got landlords who want want their occupancy rates up yeah so it's so you've got cheap money and you've got cheap rents um, although not that cheap because that's you know we're still in central london in, in, yeah, in many no, instances and 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 and, and there's yeah, Jamie Oliver's outside london as well though isn't he he is he is uh, there's one in chelmsford as well I've not been there. Not been there. Um, I've not heard great things. <laughs> and so, so the actual setup cost is: it's possible for someone to come in and throw some money at this and set up a chain of restaurants. Yeah, and we've got we've we're essentially I think we're flooded. We're flooded. We know we talked about it with the, the you know the lunchtime sandwich market. And I totally agree with you. I think this market now is massively oversupplied. And I, I guess the reason private equity have got involved to the extent they have is not just cheap money, uh, but but they like this sector particularly because you can take a format. And I, I, I saw someone describe it as a cookie cutter approach. You set up your format, you set up your your restaurant, what it looks like, what it's selling, and you can just roll that out a lot. 
Yeah, this is this is the classic retail rollout theme. Yeah, and it and where where you sort of make money by traveling rather than arriving, and what will happen is that they'll try and get out of this whilst there's still a rollout in place. And my my view is that a lot of these rollouts fizzle out. I, I think so, and I, I think you know historically, I mean, we've often been we've often talked about you know. Investors, private investors, should be wary of private equity-backed rollouts onto the UK stock market. Yeah, not true universally, but there are certain types of business where you need to be a bit more careful. And I, and I worry whether we will start seeing some of these sandwich chains coming to market. For example, where's the competitive edge here? I, I don't think there is one. You know, you, you're looking, you're looking at on almost, you know, classic case of not quite perfect competition, but getting there. Mm. It's very difficult for these chains to to earn supernormal profits or you know premium returns on on their investment because there's so much competition. Having said that, when things have gone well, and this is one of the attractions to private equity in particular, is is when things go well, the cash flows are good from these sort of businesses. Well, if you can, you know, if you can like Wagamama's selling to to restaurant group, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely, and there is a lot of uh, questions over that deal, which I allude to in my editorial. But this, this is you know, you, you know, try. I always, I always try and sort of when talking to people about companies is try and get get into the mindset of the customer of this business. And we've both got kids, families. You know, going to these going to these places is not a cheap cheap evening out. No, it's not. Wagamama is yeah. eye-wateringly expensive, and I have to say. quite frankly, some of, there are some exceptions to this. The food is pretty underwhelming in a lot of these restaurants, as far as I'm concerned, and you're paying a lot of money for it. Hence why a lot of people, either through choice or through their budget, are logging on to Just Eat instead. Yeah, but Just Eat don't have the market to themselves, and I guess this is the big problem this week. The shares have taken a, a pounding. They have, but I think this is really interesting because I think there's scope for misunderstanding of this. And, it, you know, Just Just Eat is an expensive share where a lot of good news about future growth is is priced in. Puts you 100? For how long longer? I'm not sure. Um, Enjoy Mark's expenses on the way out. Yeah. Those two are actually pretty close to to going out. They, they are indeed. They're similar market caps, I think. Yes, they are. Along uh, with EasyJet, actually, is quite yeah quite low down that list now. But you see, it's interesting if you if you look at you know the the issue about things like um, Amazon investing in Deliveroo, and then you've got Uber Eats as well. These are essentially deliveries for now, delivery companies. Where where Just Eat is making its money is on its marketplace. So it is getting a percentage of the order value through the app mm. from the Chinese takeaway or so on. That market, I think it's got quite a strong position in that market. And then it's now throwing money at delivery. And it's doing quite well in delivery as well in that it has got a lot of sort of smaller towns quite well covered, which means that there isn't enough business for the likes of uber or delivery to go around so i think there may have been from a business point of view i'm not talking about share points but but i think there are quite big chunks to just eats businesses that are a lot more defendable perhaps than people think they are the issue is on is that delivery now seems to be the battleground of you know 
getting sticky customers in terms of the end customer who's eating the takeaway and then the restaurants that are making it. And of course, where Deliveroo is interesting is that it's trying to set up kitchens. Dark, dark kitchens, I think. Dark kitchens, which are essentially, for, for those of you who don't know what that means, is it's just like a, be like a warehouse or a building which is just full of different types of food being cooked on the same premises. And it's like offering the opportunity for people saying, look... Don't go and don't go and take on all the costs and property of setting up a restaurant. Come and come into this big thing, but, but we'll, and we'll deliver your stuff for but, you. But aren't they going to go after ja, ja, some of Just Eat's customer base? So they'll say, "Hey, you know, uh, yes, you know, Chelmsford High yes, Street yes. takeaway that has a high street presence." Yeah, and this is and this why is why bother with the shop? Why bother with your rent? Come and work with us. Absolutely, and this is where this is where there is a risk. I think it's going to take some time to build up. Clearly, there's a lot of investment that's got to go in mm. to. Dozens and dozens of locations across, particularly the UK. I mean, the UK is where Just Eat is making the vast majority of its profit. And, and it is making money, unlike some of, oh, the, it's making some of good, It's making really good money in the UK. I mean, it's, I, mean I don't like EBITDA as a, as a measure, but it's EBITDA margins in the UK. I it's it? you EBITDA. Yes, it's you EBITDA, <laughs> yes. Even worse. I thought it was a typo. Even it. worse, yeah. 50, 50% margin. 50, and I think it's operate. I think last year what it had... The total business is what seven hundred, nearly eight hundred million of sales and a hundred million. So it's making fifteen, sixteen percent operating margin, and that includes businesses that are losing money. The app, you know, these these apps are quite sticky. You know, I, I, I mentioned in the article that you know you get this like a network effect where people log on. It's like, you know, I mentioned companies like Right Move and Auto Trader. Where do you go for a takeaway? I'll go to I'll go to Just Eat. Incidentally, Right Move Auto Trader feature in your Fitz One Hundred quality. They do, yeah. Uh, list because because of the same same reasons. Yeah. They they are they they have this pull, and you know the more people that use Just Eat as an app, the more valuable it becomes and the more restaurants that want to be on there because that's where people are going. And I think I think that that part of Just Eat is actually still remains quite attractive. But the question is, you know, if Amazon if Amazon gets into this, Amazon will throw lots of money at technology. Although it's- And it's backing Deliveroo. It is, which I don't think we've mentioned yet. It is. I just I did mention Oh did you? It. Sorry. But it's like Amazon Amazon has tried in this market, and it's failed. Mm. And now it's going going in Deliveroo. And I think you know Deliveroo may have to spend a lot more money than it's put down already. But but Amazon, I mean Amazon is essentially a logistics company. In, in, in it's technology and logistics, technology company. A, yeah, but but actually, there's a hell of a lot of clever tech. I think behind Amazon. I, I think these guys they obviously spot potential in this market, and they're co- they're going to come at it again and again and again until and it, they get it right. It's a classic. This is a classic sort of Amazon situation. Amazon goes for volume businesses, very very high volume, low margin, scalable businesses where you can eventually build up a lot of profit just by scaling a lot of incremental low margin business um but whether whether i think i think the problem for just eat is whether there's enough enough growth to go around with all this competition and and, and it's a hostage to fortune with its share price it all just feels to me like there is so many, only so much food people can actually eat. Yeah. <laughs> whether, whether it comes from a Jamie Oliver restaurant, uh, a, a Pret-a-Manger or, or, a, or a delivery. I, you know, I have the same sort of thing with Uber. You know, it's like, are, you know, are our town just going to be full of taxes? <laughs> you know, taxes and takeaways. 
You know, and it's like... Actually, that does sound a bit like my town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Just describe the modern British high street. Um, but, you know, there is only certain amount of of business to go around here and no one's making any money out of delivery. No one. Mm. And, um, you know, if you've, if, you, if you've got already got a business where you're loss-making and you're hoping to scale it up and then you've got two big companies who also are losing money and want to make money it doesn't really look like a good recipe for any of them no and then you've got a share on what nearly 50 times earnings you can see why you can see why the share price has gone down indeed it's all a bit gloomy this week phil and I was going to, I was going to talk about the travel industry, but I, I, do you know what? I'm already depressed enough as it is. I've depressed myself. <laughs> Should we talk about something good? I think we need to. We yeah. need to finish off on something good. We do, yeah. What, what have you read about this week, Phil? What's caught your eye that you think I like this company? Britvic. Yeah, I like Britvic. I, I like Britvic, and I like For Terror. What do you want to talk about, Bricks or Britvic? Both, if we can. Uh, yeah, yeah. Keep it brief. Yeah, Britvic. This this is a company that had sort of kind of lost its way a few years ago and obviously was on the end of a takeover approach or a merger approach with AG Bar, which didn't come off. And it's really sorted itself out. Um, it's got over the sugar tax and it's got a really nice portfolio of brands that are fitting in well to evolving customer tastes, low sugar. It owns the, the, the key thing it's got. It's got the license in the UK and Ireland to make Pepsi and 7up and pepsi max is going gangbusters on you know sugar free drink 7up is also doing very well uh, even tango apparently has a resurgence and the other thing as well which is going well is robinsons they've relaunched um, robinsons with this fruit creation squash which is very nice i've, had a, I've drunk a few, quite a bit of this myself it's a very nice drink but you've got something here the branded Regular purchase, you've got a bit of pricing power in here, you've got scalable business, and also you've got a combination of self-help where they've made the business more efficient, they've invested in new production, so you've got a grow, a steady growing earnings story here and also a, a very nicely increasing cash flow, free cash flow story here. There used to be, but, a, used to be a chance for business. They did, yeah. yeah. I, no one's filled the office yet after they've moved No, but I guess I mean, the reason I mentioned that is because the efficiency side of things. They've they've done the old move to a central. Yeah, they've moved. They've think. moved out of Chelmsford, and I and they've. I think I can't name all the sites. I think it's there's a, three key sites in the UK they've got now. But nice and central. Essentially, they're a straight line yeah. down the middle of like the spine of England. Yeah, I think London, somewhere in the Midlands, and somewhere like Leeds. I think is the other one. And this is this is a nice story. And you've got bits of business in France and Brazil that's. They're sort of getting that better. And I think, you know, we've talked about Fever Tree a lot and how expensive Fever Tree is. And obviously Fever Tree is growing a lot, a lot faster. But this, this to me, is a nice little share. It's, um, it's got the cash flows growth. It's on 15 times earning. It's, okay. got, it's got a dividend yield of nearly 4% covered by cash. That is one I very much like. Okay. Sounds good. For terror. Bricks. Yeah, I like brickmakers as well. I think brickmakers are a, they, they, the thing about brickmakers is that they they own the clay reserves that make the bricks, and these are scarce assets, which make them quite difficult to compete against. They're also, from a house builder's perspective, the 
cost of the bricks is only about a percent, one percent of the cost of the house. So it's not a major outlay for the customer as well. And again, we've got a nice market here, new build markets going reasonably well, in this, which we've talked about. Your, your favourite subject. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got the, they've also got a decent position in the um, repairs and maintenance with the, uh, the flattened bricks. And again, they're investing in increasing capacity. Stock, stock levels are low. The UK brick market is in a very nice spot at the moment because you've got demand, you've got undersupply, you've got low stock levels, and you've got um, companies like Forterra that are investing in new capacity, which means that they can take business that was coming in from places like Belgium, make it in the UK, load these plants up, make more bricks for more profit, more cash flow. This is, again, um, a nice share as well. For me. One of our tips of the year. I, I think Britvic is as well, isn't it? Yeah, it could well be. Yeah, well so be. those are two shares that have come up with um, Britvic with half-year results this week. For Terra as a trading update, um, these are these are shares. I mean, obviously, there's a cyclicality element of to for Terra, but if you're looking for sort of reasonable quality businesses that you can buy at reasonable prices, I, those are the two that I've liked for a while and I still like them. There's something nice and boring about them. Yeah. And I guess that's and what they, keeps the valuation low. Yeah, but they're easy to understand as well. Mm. You know, if you can't understand a brickmaker... Give, know, give up. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I, you know, they pay decent dividends. There's, there's a combination of the markets are good and they're helping themselves to get better. So, yeah, those, those two this week stand out for me. Excellent. Thank you, Phil. I think we're pretty much done. Yeah. In our first week in our new studio. Yeah. It's all a bit, it's all a bit disconcerting. It's cold, isn't it? Isn't it? It's very cold. <laughs> yeah. But it's really nice. It's nice. It's, yeah. It's nice headphones that work. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, I'll uh, quickly talk. Uh, thanks, Phil. Uh, let me quickly talk you through what else we've got in the magazine. The cover feature this week uh, is about the car industry, which I think is at a, 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 a very difficult place uh in in all respects and for investors extremely hard to understand alex genois has, has written a piece called gridlock which is trying to really understand exactly what's going on and help investors through through this this, this very difficult period in an industry which is going through fundamental change and uber in fact that we mentioned already is is part of that um so yeah lots of, of interesting uh insight there mark robinson has written a, a companion piece for the sector focus talking about the ev charging uh business and and, and how that infrastructure is going to develop in the uk and how investors can get a piece of that. James Norrington has revisited his Letters from America piece, looking at some of the hedge fund uh, manager updates. Lots of really good insight from uh, from US hedge funds uh, and what they're doing. In fact, one of the funds he looks at is looking at the, the sort of US tech value side of things, which is a way of playing playing the tech theme without getting caught up in the, the sort of mad valuation stuff we're seeing around unicorns and fangs. Um, lots, of, lots of results this week. Uh, starting to get busy again, just in time for the summer, as we all head off on holiday, or not, as the case may be. Uh, lots of uh, interesting comments uh, this week from Mr. Bearball and Paul Jackson, looking at the role of non-executives and non-executive chairman, which is, I mean mind-blowing uh, and some really interesting news stories a little update from metro bank looking at just the, again in the news section and yeah alex newman has looked at the provident financial takeover situation which is is uh, reaching its conclusion thank you for listening thank you again phil pick up the magazine in all good news agents gridlock how to navigate the uncertain future of the automotive industry or get online and subscribe thank you very much 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 